One of the things that we really believe in here at Third is to invest in leaders for the future church. Uh, we want to see new, younger leaders empowered, trained, and equipped, and then sent out uh, to help serve uh, the church beyond ourselves. Um, so our pastoral intern, we have a great pastoral intern program here at Third, and our pastoral intern right now is Aaron Rose. You've met Aaron before, but um, I know some of you haven't, and Aaron's not been in the pulpit for a while, so I wanted to reintroduce her. She is um, the pastor of worship and preaching down at Easton Fellowship, one of our daughter congregations. She's a student uh, in the MDiv program at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, uh, and she is a lovely lady and a, and a gifted preacher and teacher. And so um, let's pray as we go to God's word. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your grace that sustains every, every moment and that grace that you give us, especially in and through the word of God. Uh, we want to be people who have receptive hearts like the Ninevites who hear the word of God and who respond. And so we pray that you would give us the Holy Spirit today, that we would be those who do not just hear, but that we turn, that we respond, and that we, and that we give all of our hearts in response to your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been learning about God's disruptive grace in and through the book of Jonah. So let's hear what happens after Jonah gets spit out from the fish, finds himself on dry land again. Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you guys. Uh, I'm so grateful to stand before you this morning, but also to be a part of this body on a regular basis for the past year, and at least for an, another year. I'm really grateful. I'm also grateful um, specifically for how you all have welcomed me into your spiritual family. It's been great. I've also been really grateful to um, sit under Corey's instruction. Um, you all know this, but this house is so blessed to have Corey Whitmer as a pastor and a leader and a teacher. Um, 
He's just such a gift. So I'm very grateful to be here today. And I'm grateful for this word because it most certainly has preached me first. I see myself all through the text. And uh, we'll be talking a lot about repentance. So there's a little bit about me. Often a lot of need for me to repent before the Lord. Um, sackcloth and ashes is probably what I need to be wearing most of the time. But so I want everybody, I, I see myself in the text, but I would love for each of you to see yourselves in the text. Because you might be saying, you know what? I'm so glad my husband is here for this. Aaron is going to be talking about repentance. I'm so glad my disobedient children are here to hear the preacher talk about disobedience and repentance. That's true. The message is for your children and for your spouse and for your siblings and for your parents, but it is also for you. The need for repentance is great. The need to respond to God's call for repentance is great, but it's an opportunity. It is not just a burden or a chore or a shame-inducing right, but it is actually an extension of the grace of our God. So would you hear over the next 20 minutes the love of God shown to you and expressed to you and maybe you'll hear God's voice calling you to repent and so that word repent means to turn away or to turn around so when we talk about repentance we're talking about turning away from your sin or turning around and going the other way if you've been walking down the path of disobedience which is a well-trodden path for most of us We've been talking about disruptive grace for the past several weeks, and we've defined disruptive grace as God's grace or God's way of interrupting our lives when we get off course. It's the kind of grace that chases us down and gathers us up and sets us on our way. It's like when you go to a park and uh, you either bring your children or if you don't have children, you see other people bring their children to the park. And you hear the list of instructions uh, the parents give to their children. They say, okay, Sam, this is where you're playing. You're not going past the fence or you're not going past the sidewalk. Stay right over here and play because I need to keep an eye on you, so on and so forth. The child, just ready to be free and unleashed, will agree to anything at that point. And so they're saying, yeah, no problem. I understand. I get it. I get it. I get it. But after a while... They grow bored of the boundaries that have been set for them. They grow tired of staying within the fence, of staying uh, uh, on the sidewalk, and their eyes are set on the distant uh, paradise that their mother or their father has restricted from them. And they start to inch closer and closer to the line. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They inch closer and closer and closer. And then I've seen it multiple times. The child like has a moment of indecision, a moment of pause. And they're just like, I'm going forward. And pew, they're off, right? They start running, running, running. Their parents are calling, come back, come back. They don't listen. They go straight towards, running straight headlong towards the potential danger that awaits their disobedience. It could be um, oncoming traffic. It could be broken glass. It could be stranger danger. 
anything could be awaiting for them, but they're just so set on going to where they think they need to go, they're ignoring the call of their parent. But always, 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 the parent leaves the place of their rest, jumps up, swoops in, and picks the baby up, turns them right around, and returns them to the boundary of safety that's been established for them, completely taking that young child off of the course of disobedience. People of God, that is disruptive grace. And that we are all that child that runs towards what we see, runs towards what we want, no matter what God has established for us. We just want what we want. And I know it's disruptive grace because have you ever seen a child who's been interrupted while they're headed someplace and their mom takes them someplace else? They have a whole fit. They fall all out, they're kicking, they're screaming, they're bending backwards, trying to twist out of their parents' arms, flailing. And the whole time, that sweet mom, that sweet father is reminding that child of who she is, of how much she's loved. Yeah, I know, yep, it's tough, I know you're upset, but you need to stay over here. This is what I told you to do. It's important that you obey. And all of us, all of us are that flailing child All of us are that child that is set on their own ways. And what might be difficult for the child to realize and is often difficult for us to realize is that when the parent intercepts them, that's actually a kindness. It's actually a grace. It's actually a mercy. And so uh, when God intercepts us, when God scoops us up and gathers us in his arms, it might feel painful. It might feel like I just got swallowed by a great fish and I'm down here in the fish's stinking belly for three days and three nights, but it is a grace and it is a mercy to us. Now, some of us might be further down the road to perfected obedience than others. Some of us might think we have it all together, but I know for myself that I am firmly and completely in the camp of needing the disruptive grace of God to come and get me. Because when I'm left to my own devices, I set myself up for trouble anytime. And brother and sister, if you came and asked me if I felt the same about you, I do. You are the same. You are in need of the disruptive grace of God. And if you walk away with anything today, walk away knowing this. The disruptive grace of God is for you too. And this brings us to Jonah chapter 3. We'll be talking a lot about God's relenting mercy today, and that's uh, the mercy that God operates in when he says there's going to be a consequence for your actions, but then you repent, you turn away from your wrong actions, and then God says, you know what, I'm going to relent. You will not suffer this consequence because I've seen that you, that you changed your ways. We will be talking about that, but before we get to the mercy of God that relents, I want to talk about the mercy of God that gives second chances. So the first sentence, the first clause of this chapter is probably the most profound to me in the entire chapter, probably in the entire book of Jonah, and it's definitely top five in the whole Bible for me. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I'm going to break that down section by section. We see the word then, 
starting us off. So we know that something significant preceded that whole sentence. Corey talked to last week about Jonah uh, being in the belly of a whale, praying unto the Lord, crying out unto the Lord. But how did he get in the belly of the whale? I mean, sorry, not the whale, the great fish. So uh, Jonah got into the belly of the great fish when uh, the Lord said to him, he was just living a regular life on dry land, like most of us are. And the Lord said to Jonah, because he was a prophet of God, go to Nineveh and tell Nineveh to repent. And Jonah said, no thanks, I'd rather not. And he gets on a boat and goes in the opposite direction. So once he gets on the boat, the Lord sends this huge storm. The waves are crashing. The breakers are breaking all over the boat. The sailors are, they're shook. They're terrified. And so the, um, but Jonah is asleep somewhere in the boat. So one of the sailors comes down to Jonah and says, listen, brother, you got to get up. We're all praying to our gods. We're all about to die. Wake up and pray to your God. Maybe your God is the God that can actually save us. And it's like, it has to be mind-boggling for this group of people to see this man sleep in the boat. How can you sleep during something like that? And I will say, from my own learned experience, that there's something about willful disobedience that will lull you to sleep. The consequences of our sinful actions can completely rock your world. It will rock the world of you and the people around you, and you can be non-responsive. Our willful sin deadens us to its effects. It deadens us to the ways that God pursues us. So back to Jonah. The sailors get him up. It's a man that he prays to his God. Jonah says, you know what? I, I think I might know what this is about. Don't worry about it, y'all. I think y'all are going to be fine. Just throw me overboard and it'll be fine. The sailor says, look, we're trying everything at this point. I got a wife and kids to go home to. I'm going to throw you over. Jonah gets thrown over. God says, not so fast and sends a great fish to swallow Jonah up. So Jonah is in the fish. He's waxing poetic unto the Lord. The prayer is, you know, it's a lovely prayer. And I'm sure he's panicked for three days and three nights. Lord, how am I going to get out of this? I'm sure he's losing faith, finding faith, losing it again, finding it again. He's like, man, it stinks in hay in here. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And the fish spits him out finally after three days and three nights. And that brings us to the beginning of Jonah chapter 3. That's the then, when, when the scripture says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And who are we? Let's talk about the word of the Lord. Who are we? Who is Jonah? Who are we that we could even receive the word of the Lord? Why would God even speak to us, communicate with us? And even the way God communicates with Jonah in a way that he can understand is an extension of his mercy. And I know this because the word of God is so powerful. It spoke nothing into something. God spoke and the world was framed. God spoke and there were sun, moon, stars. God spoke and there was earth and there was sea. God spoke and there was plants and animals and trees and all kinds of creatures. God spoke. And so how can the word of God be given to a single person? How can we receive the word of God? That's a wonder of mercy. 
And I would think that hearing God's voice would be way more powerful than standing beneath a waterfall and more destabilizing than trying to plant your feet in the middle of an earthquake. But God's word was so graciously given to Jonah. The will of God was made known to a man that had so willfully and flagrantly disobeyed and walked away from the Lord. But the Lord saw him and he gave him his word, made his will known to him a second time. What a joy, what a treasure, what a mercy, what an overwhelming thought that the God of the universe would deign to speak to us a second time, that, would get, that the God of the universe would give us an opportunity, would give Jonah an opportunity to play a role in God's redemptive plan after he'd rejected God the first time. It wasn't like Jonah didn't hear God and it, the first time. It wasn't like Jonah misunderstood God. It wasn't like God forgot to mention to Jonah what he needed him to do. No, Jonah heard the word of the Lord, understood the word of the Lord, and rejected the word of the Lord, walked away from the word of the Lord, ran away, fled from the word of the Lord. But God, in his infinite, relentless mercy, gave Jonah another opportunity to be the person that he had called him to be. He chose to use Jonah again in his great plan for his glory when he could have allowed Jonah's life to be lost at sea. He could have chosen someone else that would have been obedient. He could have chosen somebody else that would have responded with joy and with love in their hearts. But no, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And some of us know exactly what it means to have the grace of God forcefully catch up to us and give us a second, a third, and a fourth opportunity to obey. A second, a third, a fourth opportunity to love. Multiple opportunities to forgive, to lead. And the mercy of a second chance is an extravagant mercy. It demonstrates God's lavish love for each of us, showing that none of us is merely disposable to God. We're not just minions doing God's bidding. He doesn't just want little soldiers, um, peons just doing his work. No, God is interested and cares deeply about each of us becoming the man, the woman, the person that he has called us to be. He very much so desires to extend grace after grace so that we can live into the fullness of his original intention for us. He gives us chance after chance to be the mother, the father, the son, the daughter, the teacher, the, the friend, the child of God that he's molding us and calling us to be. And that is the great profound mercy of a second chance. I want to talk about another mercy, and that's the mercy of repentance. In this chapter, we see an incredible revival that's a result of a call to repentance. Jonah finally makes it to Nineveh. He walks a third of the way in. So the, the scripture says that uh, Nineveh was a great large city, and it took three days uh, travel to get across. Jonah said, let me just get started. I'm only going a third of the way in. And the original Hebrew, he gave a five-word sermon. It's like eight words or something in this translation. He gave a five-word sermon. And uh, for us, it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
After Jonah says this, the people respond in ways that I'm sure even Jonah could not have anticipated. They hear that mediocre, lackluster sermon, and the scripture says the Ninevites believed God. They called a fast, and from the least to the greatest, they put on sackcloth, even the king. And y'all, kings are notorious for ignoring the word of the Lord. They are notorious for hearing God say, destruction is coming, and they're like, nah, I'm good. But this king, he hears the word of the Lord, and he issues a decree. He's like, listen, ain't none of y'all eating, not your cows, not your sheep, not your goats, not you, not your grandparents, not your kids. If your baby's hungry and crying, let him cry. We are all going to be humble before the God of Israel and be aware of our sin. But not only does he say, listen, call a fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. He says, no, change your ways. Repent of the evil that you've done. Turn away from your violence. And how did the people have this reaction? Because Jonah's word corresponded. Even though Jonah gave a mediocre sermon, half-hearted, the word that Jonah spoke was the word that corresponded with the word of God in heaven. And no matter how reluctantly Jonah delivered God's word, it was still God's word and it accomplished what God sent for it to do. It accomplished what God purposed for it. And the purpose for that word was to draw the people of Nineveh to repentance. The purpose of that call to repentance was to give the people of Nineveh an opportunity to turn away. And that was a grace. They didn't get no attitude and be like, how dare Jonah come walking his sorry self up in here and tell us what to do? Nope. Their hearts were soft. They saw the evil in their own hearts. They saw the evil in their own lifestyles and they repented and turned away. And we awful think as somebody asking us to repent, a call to repentance as an unpleasant thing. Sort of an unnecessary virtue that's far less preferred than continuing in whatever sinful state and whatever disobedient state we find ourselves in. It's kind of like when a a parent forces an errant child to say sorry to a wounded friend or sibling. A call to repentance can feel like a shame-inducing burden, a chore, or an obligation. Beloved one, let's consider this. A call to repentance is an opportunity and a grace extended to us. A call to repentance is a call away from sowing actions that reap death and a call towards living a life of God's kingdom abundance. So today, right here, September 2019, when we feel the Holy Spirit tugging on our hearts to repent, calling us to turn away from whatever our chosen sin is, What do we do? I know what I so often do. I so often harden my heart. I so often steel myself against the word of God. I keep myself from hearing what God wants me to hear. I say, no, there's no way God would ask me to do that. There's no no way God would ask me to give that up. There's no way God would ask me to give that much money. There's no way that God would ask me to let my walls down and offer forgiveness to somebody who, one, doesn't deserve it, and two, never apologized in the first place. There's no way. God wouldn't ask me to fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. But church, this makes us more like Jonah in the story. 
And Jonah, we know what happened to him when he hardened his heart against the Lord. He ended up in the belly of a great fish, scared for his life. But in the case of the Ninevites, their hearts were softened. They heard the word of the Lord and acted. And it's easy to overlook their repentance and to focus on the heroic obedience of Jonah. No. The Ninevites in this story are used as a literary device for the Hebrew audience of the book of Jonah. So you see, Jonah was the man of God, the prophet of God, part of the chosen people of God. He knew the law. He knew the right way to live. He was ordained. He held office amongst his people, the prophet, the mouthpiece of God, the oracle of God. And it was that person who needed the Lord to come and get him, to come and pursue him, to come and give him direction another time, a second time. But the Ninevites... People who were enemies of the family of God, people who were known for their violence, for their destruction, for their idolatry. These people heard a five-word sermon and completely turned their lives around. Church, who will we be like? Will we be like Jonah with hardened hearts? Or will we be like the people of Nineveh whose hearts were softened enough to know that there needed to be a change in their lives? God put this story in scripture for us because somehow it is so easy for us who are familiar with God to ignore God's voice. We've become so used to God's love, so used to God's mercy. We sing about it. We're so used to God's power. We hear it in our prayers that it's so easy for us to tune it out. The Spirit is trying to lead us and guide us and give us direction, and we turn to other things. We seek advice from other sources, advice that's more aligned with what we want to do anyway. We live our lives just like those willful children running away from their parents and running straight towards danger. But today, hear God calling out to you, telling you to turn around. God's voice calling us to repentance is a mercy. Now, as I finish up here, I want to talk a little bit about the fruit of repentance the Ninevites' hearts were soft and ready to respond, and true repentance indeed does have fruit. For them, from the highest level of that society to the lowest level of that society, the response to God's call to repentance was to put away their evil deeds and turn to God, and they did just that. In verse 10, God says, when, uh, when uh, the word says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. First, I want us to notice that their repentance, and God noticed it too, their repentance was not just with their words. Their repentance had actions following up with it. Sometimes we think we're repentant if we just say we're sorry. I'm sorry, I repented, I'm sorry. But repentance means to turn away or to turn around. True repentance bears fruit. There will be a change in our actions when we have hearts that are truly repentant, when we truly turn away from our sin and our disobedience. And brothers and sisters, that does not always mean we'll live that out perfectly. No, there will be times when we turn away from a path of sin, but we'll sneak a peek back every now and again. But thanks be to God, God makes provision for that. And that the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in our very bodies gives us increasing, increasingly more power over sin. 
Power to turn away and to stay turned away. So y'all, when the call to repentance comes, when the opportunity for repentance presents itself, there should be more than just a mental assent. Saying, yeah, God, you're probably right. There should be a tangible turning away. But also hear this, God is not just concerned with behavior modification. He doesn't just want us to feel guilty and ashamed and then try to fix our actions based on that. No, absolutely not. The Lord, the sacrifices that the Lord requires are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He wants your heart to be affected first. Second Corinthians uh, chapter seven says that godly sorrow leads, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. When we're motivated by guilt and shame, that leads to spiritual death. But when we're responding to the voice of the Lord calling us to turn away from our sin, we feel this, this type of contrition, this type of sorrow in our heart, but that sorrow in our heart leads us to accepting the abundance of the kingdom of God. It leads us to accepting the salvation that's so freely offered, offered in Jesus. It leads us to living more and more fully in the freedom that Jesus gives us abundantly. Just like when Zacchaeus in the New Testament repented of his oppressive acts when he was encountered with Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was employed by the oppressive system um, of, of Rome, and they were exacting taxes from the Jews. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he was taking taxes from his people, collecting more than he should. So let's say if he was supposed to collect 10, I don't know, dollars from a family, he'd be like, okay, $10 goes to Rome, but I'm going to charge you a fee of $15 on top of that, and then an administrative fee of $12, and then one more special fee, just because I feel like it, $2 on top of that. And he became very rich, and the people despised him because of that, because he had so much power, and he used that power to uh, step on the neck of his own people. But Jesus... One day Jesus was coming by, saw Zacchaeus up in the tree, said, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to go to your house. In front of all the people who despise Zacchaeus, in front of the people that I'm sure that Zacchaeus had taken advantage of, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and has the conversation of a lifetime. Because Zacchaeus comes out and says, you know what, how about this? I'm going to give away half of my possessions to the poor, and with the other half, if I've ever stolen any money from anybody, I'm going to pay you back four times the amount. That's repentance that bears fruit. And just like the prodigal son that we see in Luke chapter 15, he had walked away from his father, had taken his inheritance, basically cursed his father in his face, rejected his father, rejected his family name, spent all his money on fast living. Eventually, he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. And his job was to care for the pigs and he was hoping and wishing that he would maybe be able to get a piece of the food that the, that the pigs were eating. His life had completely bottomed out. And that scripture says, uh, when he came to his senses, he said, let me return and go to my father's house. And so he left the muck and the mire that he was living in and walked straight back to the father's house. And y'all, when he got back to his father's house, before he could even get there, his father saw him coming from a long way off and came running to meet him. 
people of God. There was joy in that house on that day. And there's joy on the, it's joy in heaven. It's joy on the earth when the people of God would turn away from their sin and turn towards their father. The fruit of true repentance is joy. A life lived out of loving obedience to the father results in a supernatural joy that cannot be explained and cannot be taken away. So today, if you hear the call to, resp- to repentance, respond. If you feel godly sorrow at your disobedience, respond. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel guilty. But respond to the Father. Go running to the Father because he is waiting to receive you. If you're at a crossroads and you have the opportunity to turn around, turn around. Friends, I hope you've seen yourself as I've seen myself in this text. I pray that you've recognized the places where the Lord has extended his grace by giving you the mercy of a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth chance to obey. I pray that this morning you would not harden your heart against the voice of the Lord. The scripture says today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. You're here in this church, at third church, the right time, in the right moment. God has called you here to this place to hear these very words, to hear this truth exclaimed from scripture that God's disruptive grace is for you too. Some of y'all in here know that you've been running. You know that you've been ignoring the voice of God and you've run into that danger. Just like that child who's running away from his parents is running towards danger. You've seen the danger. You've experienced it. You've not run too far for the father to come gather you up in his arms and set you on the right path. The father is always ready to receive you with love. Allow the father to gather you up in his arms. And that process may be painful. It might feel like you're being punished. It may, not be, it may not be what you thought you wanted, but he'll be with you the entire way, reminding you of who you are, of whose you are, and what he expects of you. The disruptive grace of God that draws us to repentance, the disruptive grace of God that calls us to repentance is for you too. So I'd like us just to take a moment Just a moment to be present with ourselves and with the Father and to search our own hearts. You can close your eyes if you need to, if you want to, but just be present with the Lord in this moment and ask the Spirit to bring to your mind any places of disobedience, of hardness of heart, things that we've refused to release, things that we continually hold on, words that we refuse to say, Forgiveness that we've refused to give, love that we've refused to give. Father, you see these places in our hearts. These places that we've held on to what we thought was the right thing. We've held on to what we thought has made us safe. We've held on to what we've thought has made us secure, has given us security, has given us peace. But Father, we know that true security is found only in you. True peace is found only in you. 
So, Father, by the power of your spirit, would you free us today? Would you set us on the right path? Would you soften our hardened, stony hearts to receive you, to receive your words? Lord, some of us are saying we don't have strength to turn away. But your power more than it is more than enough for us. Your power more than makes up the difference. And in our weakness, you act on our behalf. The battles that we're waging in our own hearts and we feel like we can't wage them on our own. Heaven wages them for us. Spirit of God, would you speak your truth louder than the lies in our hearts? Lies that keep us fearful, lies that keep us bound. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things with hearts full of faith. In Christ's name, amen.